You're listening to Cloud9, where Bahaiteachings.org interviews artists from around the globe to learn about what inspires, uplifts, and motivates them to make a positive contribution to the world. My name is Shadi Talui Wallace. In this episode of Cloud9, Bahaiteachings.org interviews multidisciplinary artist Ruha Fafita. Born and raised on the Pacific island of Tonga, Ruha was introduced at an early age to the ancient indigenous art form and cultural practice of Natu making through family and elders. Natu, the Tongan form of the indigenous South Pacific Islander art form, best known as Tapa, has deep spiritual meaning for Tongans. A chance collaboration with renowned New Zealand artist Robin White led to an exploration of community engagement, reciprocity, environmental conservation, and oneness through the making of many large-scale Natu pieces. Today, Ruha's work is exhibited in galleries and festivals across Australasia and the Pacific. Her art continues to explore the fundamental role that Natu plays in community life, how it has become a symbol for racial and tribal unification, and the preservation of culture and history. Hi, Ruha. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. I know you're in Australia, but where exactly in Australia are you? I'm in Queensland, in a suburb called Goodna, a little bit southwest of the main um, city, Brisbane. For our listeners out there, um, I actually grew up in Brisbane, and so my accent, which is very Canadian now, might fluctuate from time to time. Um, where I will probably adopt an Australian accent because I'm talking to a fellow Australian and Brisbaneite. So I apologize if it's hard to keep up. <laughs> it's very uh, difficult for me to listen to. <laughs> as well. So I know you're from Tonga originally, but how did you end up in Goodna? I guess following, I moved to Australia to study. It was kind of a spontaneous decision to come and study creative industries here. And following that, um, it, actually during that time, I was encouraged to become involved in some of the community building efforts of the Baha'i community here. And so since then, I've been in Goodnight, I think, since the first year that I moved here and have just stayed ever since. So it's just, I finished uni and um, continued to be involved. And it's just something that's held me to this place. And the community, I think, has also become quite the family for you as well in Goodna. Yeah, definitely. It's amazing. It's so diverse. The first house that we moved into here was in a complex and there were no two homes where people were from the same country. Um, so we had, you know, one house from Brazil and Congo and Sudan and Fiji. And it was just so nice feel that people from all of those different countries could come to feel like family, you know, when you interacted in a certain way and um, you were looking for ways to just support each other and work together to create positive environments for the children and um, learn together. So it was, yeah, it's amazing to see that process unfold. So beautiful. So what was your life like in Tonga and how does it differ to where you live now? Growing up in Tonga was very different. I think, you know, it's still a very kind of village-oriented um, place and often where you live the people around you know you and your family and uh, very well and there's a very kind of warm feeling of you're always sharing food with your neighbors and whenever you go to town you've got to kind of 
um, give an hour's extra time because you know you're going to be running into people all day. It's not just to go and get the errands done. It's going to be running in and catching up with family and friends. And, yeah, it was really, I think, exciting to live there and be part of a culture that was so vibrant and happening. I think our parents made the decision for us to grow up there so we could be part of learning the language and be involved with all of our extended family, which I think was such a beautiful dynamic to have. Here it's often, um, you know, like expanded, extended families are very spread out. So there you're kind of so many cousins and uncles and aunties and there's just a lot of like intergenerational interaction and yeah, a lot of differences, I think, but... Interesting. So I know you grew up in a really creative household and community. Could you share a bit about what paved the way for your own creative journey? My my mom's actually from New Zealand. She's European Welsh and she was a musician. And so my dad came from this family, this Tongan family. And all through our lives, we were encouraged to learn musical instruments, to always be performing at family functions and dancing. And we'd have our aunties, you know, making the costumes. And then when we were old enough, we would be helping making costumes. So in previous conversations with you, you'd mentioned your grandmother as a major influencer on your own creative practice. Could you share about what she was working on and how and what kind of knowledge she shared and passed on to you? My grandma was used to make a lot of ngatu, which is the... Um, the bark cloth that we use in Tonga for a lot of different things, but predominantly now for ceremonial purposes. And it's painted with natural pigments and they make them quite large. Um, so she was involved in that and a lot of weaving and crocheting. And I guess making dance costumes was a big part of it. The, the different art forms are so interconnected. So you have you know, a lot of weaving and um, working with this bark cloth the purpose is to make dance costumes or to create things for ceremony. And then the songs and dances are really to bring to life poetry that has been written. And um, so they have this kind of connection that's completely integral. You dance in something that has been designed specially for the poem and from the village that you're from and the movements as well relate to the um, those words and to the, the designs on your costume. So, so this sounds like a very holistic approach. How did you transform these traditional practices that you were learning through your family and the elders into contributing to the service in your community? We got into doing um, dancing with this dance, a Baha'i dance group that was touring with Tour Tonga. And they decided, we decided to do dances that were kind of exploring different themes, very different from traditional ones. So like the impacts of drugs and alcohol and the oneness of religion and those kinds of things. Um, and so with that, we need, we still needed to, we needed to fundraise at one point. And so the whole dance group got into making ngatu, so painting ngatu. And from there we found, okay, this is something that not just for making costumes and different things, but we were making now like wall hangings and prayer book covers. And our family just, once that started, you know, the group kept getting orders. And once the group kind of stopped their project and tours were over, we just kept painting together. And so that was from the age of about eight. And it, it was something we just did together for hours and hours of the week and the day. And we just loved it, you know, listening to the radio and painting. And our mom learned how to paste the tapa together and prepare everything. And we, you know, we found people that we knew well that made really beautiful materials. So could you elaborate a bit about the process of making natu? 
because um, I know it's a very prayerful practice. It's a practice that's mostly done and performed by women. Could you elaborate more on this uh, for our listeners? When you make a piece of natu, you you know, the men, they're part of kind of cultivating the trees and chopping them down and helping to prepare, strip the bark and all those things. And then once the materials are prepared, it's handed over to the women. And these pieces of natu sometimes go for, you know, they're 80 feet long. So what's that, like 30 or so meters plus, you know, kind of standard size. And it really is the way that they create this in, um, is that women will come together. And now I'm not sure what it was like in the past, but now, you know, you, it's regularly coming together and you kind of get your name on a list and you, um, you get your name on a list and every week or however regularly you meet with the, the group of women in your village, you bring a contribution of Ngatu that you've, the bark that you've beaten and prepared yourself. And it, every week you make a huge one by joining all of the pieces of these different families together and you make um, a Ngatu for the first person on the list. Then the next week or the next time you come together, you'll all contribute and you'll, you'll paste together one for the next person on the list. And so it's this kind of very collective um, aspect. And then once it's been pasted, you're all part of painting it. So you must create, there's this, you know, you need a framework so that everyone is painting and it's kind of a uniform thing. So they have these relief patterns that are created that have the basic design um, and it's kind of rubbed up onto the, kind of like a coin rubbing. So in the process of joining all the tapa, the design underneath, which is um, on a relief pad, is rubbed up onto the top and then that is just repeated as the whole thing's joined together gradually. You just kind of get this blueprint of the design across the whole um, length of the tapa. And that's you. So each one will come and paint, but they'll add their little, you know, they have a different way of interpreting the, the, the design often. But when you come away from it, it's really about creating one thing together and something that's um, so much more than anything you could create on your own. So it sounds a lot like there's this element of having a collective experience through having a unity of vision and also consultation. Yeah, the collective experience. And it's about, you know, the conversations that happen. It's really process oriented. It's, you know, once it's finished, it's cut up into many different things and um, it's not this precious item, but it, yeah, it really, the, the, the time that those women spend together and that's where they share stories and support each other and their family challenges and you no know, there's no men around it's really a, a unique space to explore things that are specifically relevant to their own um, their own experience and I think that's a really important um, aspect of the culture there is that we have these um, spaces for different support so so how would you say this practice differs to that in the West? You know, Indigenous art, as I see different, perhaps from um, Western society, is just the emphasis it has on um, a collective experience and one that's about um, the prosperity of a community so directly. Um, yeah, and maybe another point, and I think is so beautiful and has been something that's really inspired me to... Um, engage with all parts of the process is just the the connection you develop with the environment and the world around you this is you know I kind of used to just paint and buy the materials from other people that were making which you can do a lot now but just since starting to learn about 
all of these materials come from nature and they've kind of grown together and the history of, um, you know, just a, such a long history of people figuring out different ways of make, making pigments and different plants to use and the way that things work together and how you prepare them. They come together in a way that you can't, um, there's just like you have a piece of tapa and there's no better medium to use on that tapa than these dyes. Paint, watercolors, and just none of it works the same. <laughs> it's just amazing to see that balance has evolved. And then when you're working with them, the just the level of awe and respect you develop for the environment, I think, um, is also a really important relationship for Indigenous cultures and often comes out in their um, customary and yeah, creative practices. And so I think in my own um, experience of doing that, it's just, it teaches you things like incredible patience and love for nature and just prayerfulness and reverence. It really challenges you on those fronts and helps you to develop those qualities. And I think like it refocuses the value, you know, developing those qualities of um, those spiritual qualities is really um, the value of art. And I think anything that we do in terms of just indigenous arts, when those processes are honored for their significance of being able to cultivate and nurture the spiritual qualities that are so essential to our own development and to the development of our communities. I think that's something really unique. And the purpose was really often to praise, um, praise the qualities of others. So like, you know, it was made to honor your leaders and their qualities or made in honor of the gods. So fast forward to what you're doing today. Could you share a little bit more about some of the projects that you're working on, some of the ideas that you're exploring at the moment? Yeah. Um, you'd also mentioned to me a recent collaboration with an amazing New Zealand artist, Robin White. You know, art is something I, or painting and being involved in painting natu and dancing and singing, is something that I you know, hope to be involved in for the rest of my life. And there's experiences now um, with community building and different things that have kind of, you know, in terms of the aspirations to maybe have it something that I do for more of my time during the year or more of my time during a week. Um, I see that at the moment I'm kind of engaged in things that are helping me to really learn, a, I guess, that research aspect of creating where you're kind of like, what is it that I want to say as an artist? What's important? And um, the collaboration that I did with Robin, it taught me so many things. And one of the things that she would always emphasize is that the role of an artist is to find something to say and then you know decide on the best way to say it and I think what's driven my own is that I've in just being involved in the community and in these different projects with um, working with Natu is that I've discovered that it really is just the best way to say some things that perhaps we should all be talking about and one of I guess two things that stand out to me and have kind of guided my own research around this practice is um, the oneness of humanity. Cool. So what have been your findings? You know that all of humanity is part of one family. If we look back, the movement of peoples, um, even maybe more specifically at that at the Pacific, you know, knowing that we all came from such similar origins and are connected and you know, spread out across this vast ocean. And then as a result of being in different environments and developing different tools, our language became different because we needed different words to describe those different processes. And then, um, you know, being able to use, and then from there it kind of diversified 
what we did and how we prepared food, how we interacted, how we honored the gods, all of those, how we did things were different, but at the core of it, um, you know, we're all one, one family. And um, so that's, there's one aspect where even in looking at the, how Ngatu has traveled and is connected all over the Pacific, you see that it's really something that was at a time where perhaps we understood that a bit better. So I look at, you know, I've traveled to Fiji a couple of times and you see there's groups of islands that are between Fiji and Tonga. And they, um, although now in Fiji, they, when they, what they make commercially is quite, maybe quite different in a lot of senses from what's in Tonga. It's amazing that we're using the same materials, first of all, um, but that actually on some islands, what they're doing is very much the same and their language for it is the same. So how does your research and your knowledge and understanding of these various racial groupings play a part in the vision of, of unity in, in your You know, work? actually in Tonga, Fijians um, experience a lot of prejudice and there's a bit of racism and it's often, you know, mocking to say, call someone a Fijian or say someone's hair is like a Fijian or these kinds of terms. And, you know, if we look back far enough, we just lift our... Um, Conscious to this, you know, if we really appreciate that humanity is one family um, and try to reflect evidence of that that is the way that it was and we've kind of lost sight of it, I think, um, yeah, it can really help us to overcome these, this kind of, these prejudices that exist in the world. So I've done one of the projects that I've been involved in is really exploring with Fijian artists and trying to create works that reflect the shared skill and the shared knowledge and history that we have um, to emphasize that oneness, you know, and just kind of bringing it down into a focus, but that exists everywhere. Even in New Caledonia, you just meet with people and suddenly you have things that you thought were so Tongan or so um, yours, people share and they have the same and they do it sometimes even better or they do it in a different way or they've found different things. And it just makes you, it makes it so exciting to think what would be possible if we, you know, if we kind of lift, lifted those, um, those imagined boundaries that hold us to kind of thinking things are a comp- competition or um, separating ourselves from others, or you know, that I think are, yeah, they're just imagined really. So I know that you've worked with the renowned artist from New Zealand, Robin White. Could you share a bit about, that collaboration and the experience of working with her and some of the takeaways and insights and learnings that you gained from that experience that you're able to apply to your own artwork? Yeah. Oh gosh, so much. We started collaborating when I was, I think I, I must've been, I was turned 21. She was, yeah. Um, that was now uh, some years ago, like over five years ago, six years ago. And it was something that emerged so organically. We she'd come to Australia to Tonga. Um, she actually had worked with Fijian artists before that, and had had fallen in love with the practice. She's a printmaker by trade, so she that way of just working with images and simple, um, you know, color schemes, color palettes, and printing quite um, bold images that are symbolic. You know, this use of like developing visual vocabulary. Um, that you can repeatedly use. So that was kind of in her in her practice already. And so I guess it um, drew her to this, the work of, of Ngatu making. 
and use of pattern and different things. So anyway, she really wanted, after being in Fiji, she really wanted to learn about Tonga and Ngatu. She's like, this is where it started. And um, at the time I was living in Tonga and was part of an NGO, so an arts NGO. That just, you know, we were a group of friends that loved doing creative things. And so we looked for ways that we could serve the community through through art and through teaching art and creating it with um, others. So she came and we... Um, I helped to organize the reception for these artists and we got talking and we were looking for someone, you know, I kind of, I feel like she needed someone that was an expert and, you know, the practice and all elements. And at that time I was still, my only experience was really just buying the materials and painting wall hangings and my own. And being with your family. Yeah. And doing it with my family. And yeah, exactly. So she, um, she got there and she was kind of like, can you help me find like some elder that I can work with? And so we went around it, but we just got talking so much during in the process. And you became the elder. Yeah, I became the elder. I kind of became. <laughs> yeah, I got really old, but I um I think just <laughs> over that week. No, I it wasn't about that. I think just the connection, you know, when you the ability to just talk out concepts and think about how they would be represented visually and how the message could be captured and just I had, I had a real real thirst to learn more about the practice as well and just love doing it. Like I would choose to spend any amount of time sitting and painting. Like that's something I would definitely choose to do over many things in life. Um, and she was the same. And so I think those common threads of having kind of shared core beliefs and um, knowing that we both felt really committed to the message and um, also saw that this was a really powerful way of conveying um that message what was the message so the message was really the first one that we did was really focusing on this reciprocity between um so we we actually created artworks that um that were like they're actually boats that traveled and in them were placed things that um you know, things that came for Tongan that had come and influenced New Zealand cultures and ways of being from, you know, the huge, huge number of Tongans that now live in New Zealand, I think even more than live in Tonga. And then also from New Zealand, things that had been taken and shared. Um, and a lot of our conversation was around how this would, you know, how the impacts it had enriching both places and that this highway, both of, it was this highway of wildlife as well as you know nature there's eels that travel all the way up that that Kermadec trench and whales travel that's their kind of guiding um guiding pathway as they travel from the Antarctic all the way to Tonga to give birth each year the Kermadec is a small group of islands that's just north of New Zealand so it's right in smack bang in between New Zealand and Tonga you know this just connection between how this has become for people has become such a well-traveled journey and the significance of that on both sides. Um, yeah, I guess was the first one. I had a quite a strong focus on the, the impacts of that on the environment as well. So, um, yeah, in the process of doing that, we together learned a lot about how do you even plan or think about artworks of that scale? Um, how do you work collaboratively with others, you know, what's the importance of having a shared vision and how do different relationships and the conversations really lend themselves to higher quality, more full works. Like we've just, in the process, you realise that relationships you have with people, 
the ability, the quality of, I guess, the way that people feel like they're learning and their love for the work really manifests itself in the end product. Like you can just feel the difference, all those things. And so once you do one and you kind of, you hit all these stumbling blocks and you kind of just get through, you just want to do it better and better and you see all these opportunities. So, um, and all these different things that you could say, it's just like, wow, it's such a powerful medium. There's a lot of that knowledge that's being lost, I guess, is um, the case with a lot of these Pacific islands and, that form so it's a matter of um yeah trying to engage with it so that that knowledge is there and finding ways that they are that I guess trying to reflect in our practice ways that they're really relevant to to things that need to be said and explored today so as a Baha'i who's also working in this medium what are some what are some correlating mm. factors or teachings and beliefs that you're able to apply as a Baha'i into your work and, and insights that you've gained from it? Yeah, I think there's a number of them. I reflect on this a lot, actually. But maybe one is that, this idea, it's building off of that oneness of humanity, but also what's, you know, the vision that the Baha'i faith offers for this future, you know, humanity's um, potential in this future civilization that, we believe we're building uh, is that each, the uniqueness of each of these cultures is so important. You know, it's not one that seeks to kind of, um, that asks for indigenous, even, you know, indigenous religious beliefs and cultural practice to be given up in the state. It's really um, so much of the Baha'i writings is about how do we bring this diversity and um, allow it to find new meaning in um, responding to the needs of the world for today. Uh, yeah, I guess one of the quotes that well comes to mind is, and I don't know it off my heart, I was looking for it, but this idea that every every population is kind of forging its path towards um, towards truth and you know ever greater. Um, truth and I guess this vision of Baha'u'llah is what we believe as Baha'is to be that guiding light of truth in the world today and so I guess when I engage with the artistic practice it's always this um, it's this process of really finding those things and um, knowing that a lot of our cultural practice to give up and to shed you know certain uh, ways of thinking cultural ways of thinking that perhaps, you know, they've become warped <laughs> or um, they don't, you know, there are things that we should give up in our or sacrifice in our desire to progress, but there are also ones that are very important to keep and that, um, you know, this analogy of being the flowers of one garden, that each unique uh, contribution is something that really enriches the world that we envision for the future. And so how do you unify elements of peoples that have found such diverse ways of expressing themselves and communicate their values? I think that's something that I've always been really interested in exploring because I feel like there are just such important things about these practices that are, need to be kept in the world and about these communities. You know, I go back to the islands and it's just there are such beautiful things about that community and culture that the world needs to learn, can learn from. And I think that exists in every culture, but one that you have that intimate knowledge of, you're always so driven to kind of say, well, I was born in this part of the world and I've been able to gain a quite a deep appreciation for this way of seeing. So I want to learn about the contribution that it can make now and continue to make and engage it in a way that I'm 
also open to um, trying to understand like where the where the world is at globally um, and see its contribution from that from that context, not just you know how can I how can this these cultural things contribute to the well-being of my family, but really what what does it have to offer the world? And I think that's a really exciting possibility now that perhaps wasn't always the case um, in the past. We have such amazing access to information and to people, you know, have generated such rich amounts of knowledge about the world and about um, societies and our own histories that we have all of this to draw from. And I think it's always been an attitude of Indigenous people to just reach out and try and absorb all the knowledge that we can access and then channel it and build on our own experience and try to um, kind of weave it into something that we can use for the benefit of those that we love and care about and for others in helping to, I guess, advance these causes that, <laughs> and the work that's being done to, ch- to, um, to, I guess, overcome these challenges and to move forward. I, that's something I really believe. So I think my own view and my own uh, motivation for participating and um, working these art, these art forms is to, yeah, learn about that, learn about how it, how it can continue to evolve and, um, and build on what's happening globally. And how are you connecting it? We're, we're talking at a global scale, but how are you also connecting it to your own neighborhood? Because I know you're incredibly involved in the community. Yeah, I think it's this idea of, in our neighborhood, I mean, the world is in this neighborhood, seriously, from all those ways. But you learn, um, I found that it's such a pathway, like even just on a personal level, like the way that I reflect and process information, um, drawing and thinking about how to like, digest something into a visual summary or a visual image is part of how I learn and different things. And I find that that's like working with the arts is actually a way that a lot of people learn and can um, reflect on things more deeply in these spaces where we're learning together and studying together. It's this question of, you know, how can I, how can we use art to be able to consolidate these ideas or to go deeper into the way that we understand them? And so I'm always drawing on my own experience and, I'm really excited to hear about other people's thoughts and just try things. Like it's a lot of, it's given us this ground to really experiment and experiment with such a diversity of people, um, which is really exciting. So that's one element of it um, is bringing it into, you know, study spaces and meeting spaces. So could you share an example? So like one recently, my sister and I, we decided to, to involve a lot of, this age group of 12 to 15 year olds, so junior youth, and creating our own huge ngatu here in our community. And so it was bringing together all these people from different culture, these um, young individuals from different cultures, and really just saying, you know, you're not children anymore. They have a really important perspective of the world, and they um, also, you know, have really important things to say and really noble aspirations. So it was bringing all of those things, voicing those in a space all together and just seeing that although we're from such different places, there's so much that we share, even at this age group. And I, and then, you know, kind of going through that process of thinking about designs and where we come from and seeing seeing it really before our eyes start to be, you know, that every all these different designs and ideas that people contribute 
make this one beautiful artwork. And so we're in the process of finishing that. We've gone and visited um, groups of these um, junior youth that kind of come together regularly in their own neighbourhoods um, as junior youth groups. We've gone and visited a number of those in different areas around Southeast Brisbane and work with them to create designs and have conversations exploring, you know, um, with each other, the importance of unity and diversity and different things. So they've created the designs and so, and we're going to work to put them together and invite others to come and help paint and just be in that space with us. So that's, um, that's another element is just kind of allowing our, my own practice to be one that um, involves more and more people um, as well. And kind of taking what you learned uh, from elders and in, in like a village setting into a community that is relevant to you now. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's that of seeing really beautiful. Yeah, that's one family, and this is this is family too, and this is what I love to do with my family. So um, it makes sense, I guess. That's so special, uh, Ruha. We've unfortunately run out of time, but I I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for making time for us today and and sharing your own your own story and your own creative and spiritual journey and how that has landed you into something that you love doing that you're very passionate and and good at so i really appreciate your time today thank you it's been a real pleasure to have this opportunity to reflect thanks so much for listening to cloud nine i hope you enjoyed this episode feel free to check out baha'iteachings.org where you can find more baha'i inspired podcasts videos and articles